This is the Epilog Audio Experience. The language and content on this podcast may be unsuitable for certain audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to History Chatter. This is part 2 of our Durga Puja special. In the last episode, I'd been talking about the history, art and politics of the Durga Puja. The puja underwent several shifts in its public career since 1757 with the arrival of British colonialism. It assumed its public character most strikingly since 1930s. Nationalist politics in North Calcutta made sure that it became a completely open public festival that was also when experiments around the design of the idol of the goddess and decoration of the venue of worship or the pandal gradually turned into a fashion more recently the concept of theme puja has given birth to a new kind of art and artist an individual or a team of artists get to design the appearance of an entire puja including the icon and the pandal the integrated design makes an individual puja that is the icon and the pandal appear as a piece of art as though their public audience now visit an art gallery during the pujas or an exhibition venue The limited shelf life of this art of course makes it impossible to compare it with more mainstream works of art as in the kind that exhibitions showcase or critics or buyers assess and value as a collectible asset still more recently i said the pujas have become highly politicized to the extent that the state in west bengal is seen to intervene directly in the organization of durga pujas in several ways these uh, were by way of a general introduction to the pujas this year as in 2020 the pujas are a different proposition altogether they held against the background of the global coronavirus pandemic there were concerns that they would not be held at all there is fear that too many people may go out and that may lead to widespread coronavirus infections the calcutta high court has already passed a ruling that the pandal must not be kept open to visitors that the visitors must maintain a minimum distance of 10 meters from the puja pandal according to reports on the judgment what really lies ahead this year i wanted to ask a specialist i went with my questions to distinguished bureaucrat mr johor sarkar in a career of over 40 years he has helmed a number of departments from industry to commerce to labor and to deputations for the election commission he had been a secretary in the ministry of culture government of india and later a ceo of the national broadcaster 
Prasar Bharati, from which uh, he retired a while ago. More importantly, he is an anthropologist of religion by training and currently is the chairperson of the board at the Center for Studies in Social Sciences, Kolkata. I began with asking him about Bonedi Barir Pujo. While the Pujo has become a public festival for over 80 years now, a number of private households in Kolkata and occasionally in the districts continue to hold it as a private occasion where different branches of an extended family still come together and celebrate the homecoming of the goddess. They offer a more private and intimate experience, far from the madding crowd, as it were, in the more typical public pujas. Uh, Bonedi pujos, as uh, the aristocratic worship of pujas in Bengal is called, Bonedi, actually emanates from the word Buniyadi, uh, the foundational. Now, these families that are classified in this category claim to be the founders of the metropolis of Kolkata. Now, Durga Pujas actually began before their arrival in the sense that we had the first evidence of Durga Pujas uh, in the early part of Jahangir's regime. So that is about 1610-12, but they were all uh, disaggregated uh, in different spots. This uh, Zamindari Pujas were conducted almost invariably by, by Zamindas, uh, were conducted by little Rajas under the patronage of the Mughals and then post-Mughal, the Nawabs. But uh, they were not a unified lot. They were remained a bit amorphous. It was only after 1757, the Battle of Plassey, that the Bengali uh, bourgeoisie, I mean, hardly bourgeoisie at that time, the Bengali middle class that was looking forward for employment to the company and the Tekadars or the Zamindars decided to assert their identity. And one of the first forms of assertion was whoever had big money would spend it in uh, ostentatious worship. And not only that, they, they took the sahabs to their uh, houses uh, which, of course, defiled uh, a lot of uh, places of worship, but uh, never mind. Uh, everything was fair. Now, Clive, for instance, was a fixture at the Boniadi Pujas of the Debs of Shobhabajan. Now, Debs themselves had a questionable uh, lineage, both in terms of society and in terms of the acquisition of wealth. So, Buniyadi or Bonedi Pujos began around the uh, arrival of the British in Calcutta. They were, as I said, 150 years of lineage before that as well, uh, before that, but the real ones started in Kolkata. And uh, it continued as a show of pomp and splendor. Pomp and splendor was mainly to overawe the peasantry and the servile classes, mainly to overawe them, because what comes next after this puja is extraction of land revenue, extraction of other dues. B, by getting the uh, English uh, company servants at their houses, uh, even if it be for a short while, uh, meant that they were giving a message 
that they they had the company uh, on the right side that they were agents of the company uh, they were proud of it so puja started as an expression of power by the hindu zamindari class and uh, they also reportedly got tax exemptions that part i am researching as to what sort of tax set offs they got any case uh, it evolved into a culture of its own and uh, with brahmanism coming in in high dose uh, in a, a province that was not necessarily pro caste they found other forms of uh, other quaint expressions i'll give you one um, since uh, durga has been portrayed either uh, seated either on a lion or on a tiger all over north india and many other parts of india you'll find durga as amba as sherwali devi uh, sherwali devi is out during navratri uh, sitting rather peacefully on a tiger with her uh, displaying her arms now bengal is a haunt of tigers as one of the most famous haunts of tigers and uh, but the bengali zamindars chose not to use the tiger as the vehicle or vahan they chose a more regal lion the lion was more regal it was more brahmanical but was truer to tradition but the problem was bengalis had never seen a lion in their lives i mean the lions of gujarat had not uh, taken long walks so the lion in this bonedi pujas is sculpted in whatever form the clay artisan felt like so you'll find if you take a careful look you'll find that in all old pujas bonedi uh, the lion looks like a horse like an ass like all sorts of things because they hadn't seen one by the end of the 19th century we get the arrival of the bushwa the one that uh, was not so dependent upon land but upon petty capital it was dependent upon enterprise and the salaried jobs and they could always combine a salaried job with a side enterprise and a bit of land revenue this class started asserting itself first through culture poetry whatever education employment this class uh, is where the turning point will happen it didn't happen exactly then though we have one instance of a puja conducted by this class as a group in guptipara but then we can move on uh, the lion incidentally came to kolkata zoo kolkata had the first zoo so the lion came to kolkata zoo around 1882 so after 1883 uh you could find the clay sculptors of kolkata uh making a lion look like a lion so we have these two phases the bonedi phase incidentally even when others started adopting the lion that looked like a lion the uh, old houses stuck to what they call shabeki tradition so even now if you look at the uh, durga images of in old houses you will find this quaint creature with green hair uh, with a big snarl a uh, longish snarl that looks like a horse about to bite okay so this this these are motifs of incorporation and um, uh, imperfect integration the other issue was that whether zamindar or not 
Bengal insisted on having uh, Durga with her whole family. Now the problem is Durga's family has not been uh, registered so faithfully. We all know that Karthik and Ganesh have been legitimately uh, created into her sons or uh, tagged as her sons. But we're not so sure about Lakshmi being her daughter. Because Lakshmi has an independent uh, ancestry of her own and is tagged to Vishnu. Now, why on earth would Vishnu's uh, wife come and add herself as uh, Durga's daughter? Because, uh, in fact, she may be older. And then we have the same problem with Saraswati. Saraswati is the companion of Brahma. So, so when you took in uh, Saraswati and, uh, and Lakshmi as her children on the insistence of the people of Bengal who wanted a full family, two sons didn't make sense to them. They wanted two sons, two daughters. And uh, this was done almost by public compulsion because the way Durga was posited in Bengal was the lovely daughter of the family who was coming back to her mother and father for just a few days in the year. So the entire episode of Markandeya Puran and everything was turned around to suit the theme, to suit this narrative, that she was basically a lovely daughter, a loving daughter who was coming with uh, her children. So I've already told you how two, two of her children uh, appeared to have been grafted uh, rather uh, amateurishly, but they continue. Mr. Sarkar, in response, told me, as you heard, that uh, the addition of the four children of Durga was a ploy by patriarchy. The Bengali men had a different kind of scheme for the warrior goddess to be turned into a domesticated daughter. Of course, um, that's um, a wonderful insight into an evolution of the iconicity of the goddess. I asked him also about whether there was a special flavor to the observance of the puja in private households, um, which he later explained at slightly greater detail. Now, um, as I said, in Bengal, they insisted on this uh, family. We used to call it Shaupuribare Durga. Durga with her whole family. Now, these are some of the characteristics because nowhere outside Bengal will you find Durga uh, in that uh, image, in that iconographic uh, shape. Okay, but then this continued with the Bonedi Pujas, the aristocratic Pujas, and in uh, 1910, we get the first official record of the Bagbajar Bam Chamiti. Uh, organizing its first uh, Sharbojanin Durga Puja or the Community Durga Puja. Community meant that everybody pooled in their resources and owned the worship uh, rather than be uh, supplicants before uh, a feudal lord who would dish out God or the presence of God or the blessings of God top downwards. So this was more democratic because, as I said, the democratic class was also coming up. This is the period, if you recall, terrorism had raised its head in Bengal. 
And 1910 is fascinating because this was the year when the Indian National Congress had also met in Kolkata. The two did not connect with each other directly because of the uh, police. But the connections are there written through fingerprints elsewhere. This 1910 uh, puja is actually not an innovation of Bengal because this was almost a copy of what Lokhavana Tilak had started in 1893 or around 93 in Maharashtra with Ganesh. So he had brought Ganesh from a family deity, from a clan deity, from a clan a small worship into a public worship. This public worship of Tilak was also meant to popularize the national movement because he got a communitarian response to get the community together in the name of the God and in the name of country. This model was taken on in 1910 here and it continued. It continued. I'm not sure how long it continued because the mainstream Congress movement and the improvement of Hindu, Muslims and riots and others came in in the next 15, in the next 20, 25 years. Bengal had other forms of excitement going through, but this was sustained. Even after independence, the major Sarvajanin pujas were all conducted by those who were closer to the ruling Congress. But somewhere down the line, this political association became less and people asserted their rights. Uh, at the worst, one could say that the strongmen of localities took over uh, with some political blessings here and there. The community asserted itself during this period. And as new communities came up in what we call housing societies and things like that, there were new forms of community pujas in the housing estate. The housing estate would not be usually open to outsiders, and that would be a point of get-together, annual get-together, of all the inhabitants of those multi-storied buildings who incidentally hardly talk to each other throughout the rest of the year. Any case, so there were different forms that they were taking. So, Mr. Shorkar um, explained to me how the character of the Bonedi Barir Puja had changed over the course of the 20th century, as you heard, from being held by patriarchs who made money primarily through their investment in land. Over the course of the 20th century, these pujas had dwindled in numbers, as we also heard in the previous episodes. But the ones which continue to be held are sponsored primarily by professionals and uh, businessmen. The ritual observances remain, but the money that uh, goes into sponsoring, financing these festivities follow a certain process of what he calls gentrification or bourgeoisation. I move then to asking questions about what is called the political life of the pujas. I wanted to know more about whether nationalism had been um, an integral part of, of the pujas from the very beginning. What was a uh, more closely the equation of politics with the day-to-day -day function of these organization of the pujas. 
politics and pujas must have had a slightly longer history. He did talk about the nationalist history of the pujas, but he also spoke in more detail about the more recent repoliticization of the pujas. This is what he had to say. Around the turn of the last century, so we have seen the arrival in the uh, Durga Puja as a community one in the early part of the 20th century. In the early part of the 21st century, we get another uh, twist when the impregnable, the, the absolutely solid, rock-solid Marxist rule or the left-front rule was challenged by Mamata Banerjee through these clubs. She, I mean, I'm not saying that she took the clubs against them and said, let's fight. It happened more subtly. Mamata Banerjee realized that unless she had grassroots support, grassroots in Bengal is called Trinamool, grassroots. Unless they had grassroots support, she would not be able to swing it because the Marxist rule was based on solid grassroots whole-time cadre. These grassroots uh, workers of the Marxist and the other left parties usually bundle around the local committee. And the term LCS, local committee secretary, was some sort of a demigod. They decided everything about the locality, how much how many buildings would come up. I mean, they were, they were, they were uh, warlords. Now, the Congress, mainstream Congress or the other parties could not take on such an efficient machinery because they didn't have whole-time cadres and they didn't have any uh, carbon copy institutions. Mamta Banerjee started using these puja clubs, patronizing them. Remember, the Marxists had not touched these puja clubs as uh, they would be partaking of the opium of the people. Uh, religion was anathema to them. So they had left a small gap in the Chinese wall, in, the, in their impregnable wall. And Mamta Banerjee walked into it and she took on and bundled these guys together, gave them encouragement. She can speak in their language and the subalterns got around these Durga Pujas and uh, they, they sort of the identification uh, became quite clear. Now, how this would be of use is every time Mamta Banerjee decided to go on agitation, which in the early part of the 20th, uh, 21st century was every second day that she would decide to block roads, she would decide to stop traffic, she would decide to agitate on something or the other, her carders were out of the streets. And who were her carders? Well, some of them were carrying her flag, all right. But most of them were boys from the local clubs. Now, if the police arrested them, and they really did, because the left front was rather was, um, skeptical of these fellows and uh, held them in low esteem, uh, people who worship, that sort of thing. Every time they were taken to the police station lockup, again, it was Mamta Banerjee and her hordes that would encircle the police station, shout slogans until they got the boys out. So a silent form of immunity also was built into the system. And the government said, let's not take major issues with this woman. Uh, let her and her cadre uh, be on their rampage. After all, it's between them and this uh, uh, God-worshipping, goddess-worshipping people to sort out. This is where she grew 
she her strength mushroomed and she became a very powerful force so in 2011 when she finally was able to unseat the marxists the left front these were the first to be rewarded innovative schemes were brought in by a government and i had made a calculation that in the first 6 7 years she had doled out 700 crores of government money to help the clubs now trust bureaucrats and trust politicians to word these schemes appropriately schemes for the development of uh, sports and physical activities uh, schemes for developing local skills uh physical activities for uh, for that class of bengalis was meant playing chess or playing caroms but anyway they they could get in uh so in the name of sports adventure physical and all that she gave money to the clubs and the amount turned out to be 700 crores a couple of years ago obviously accounting became very difficult because this class is not fond of maintaining accounts and the subsidy was subsidy last year she went directly and gave 10000 rupees per club for the pujas so there was no hanky panky about increasing our skills and becoming more sportsman like this was for pujas and this year again she has jacked it up to 50000 per puja and our calculations reveal that's 180 crore rupees would go or are in the process of going out of the coffers to help these pujas or uh, help these organizations uh, get their pujas going the question is why is it so i've explained that her cadre base is heavily dependent on uh, these uh, youngsters or these middle-aged men who conduct pujas and not only that since this model of uh, organizing pujas supporting pujas became so popular there were quarrels the ex is always getting the monopoly of organizing pujas so pat uh, came the answer why don't you organize kali puja when somebody said oh these two leaders are getting kali puja and durga puja the next answer was why don't you organize saraswati puja and this theme has become very interesting in many localities there are 12 pujas held to satisfy 12 factions 12 factions of her group so this is the politics about her and this year uh, though people are really worried worried about covid spreading uh, her worry would be that uh, more than covid she needs her cadre because in the next 6 months unless these boys are next to her she'll find it very difficult to take on a well oiled well financed and rather unscrupulous uh, enemy so for her this need comes first and corona can wait but that's a tragedy because she was doing pretty well in corona corona management mr sarkar spoke in detail about what he called the repoliticization of the pujas i was keen to hear more about uh, the public concerns against the background of what is feared that um, there will be a spike of infections if too many people get out to watch or be there at the pujas so will there be too many people during the pujas going out what will be the possible implications 
Mr. Sarkar once again drew my attention to the politicization of the pujas and he said that Bengalis as a people are not particularly law-abiding. He was kidding and he drew attention also against the close association of the state government and the organization of these pujas. You see, the common people took the brunt of it for quite some time. They actually went on corona control mode. And uh, those who defied it, uh, got it, got the end of the stick also, like the rest of India. They uh, obeyed it to the extent uh, turbulent people can obey anything. They obeyed it. And in other words, the masks and other precautions were reasonably visible during the lockdowns on all the main, main thoroughfares. But the moment you leave a thoroughfare and get into what we call the lanes and by lanes, it was business as usual. There was an initial fright about it, fright and panic about it. But when they found that the mortality rates were very low and dispensable old people were the ones who were going, this cheekiness got in. A, the spirit of uh, anarchy that... Uh, that uh, is identified with uh, this region, anti-state, anarchical attitude to everything. And it was given blessings uh, 120 years ago. So you have it as a part of a political and now cultural tradition to defy. So that is there. But then remember that after six months of complete lockdown, the economy has been shattered. So now it's a question of taking on the economy, getting back to the economy or staying back and being a good boy. They have decided that the economy matters more. Now, if they can go through crowded buses and trams and some trains, they have decided if they can go back and uh, God will protect them sort of thing. Uh, why not uh, go out and buy clothes as we usually do? once a year for the uh, Durga Puja as well. So there's a general defiance, but it's of a particular class. I would put it as middle, 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 low, middle, that class. The educated classes, <laughs> uh, senior educated classes would see it all on TV. There's a class divide there. Listening to his response to the question of politics vis-a-vis -vis the preparedness of the state and the Durga Puja organizations on the COVID issue, I was interested for a little more on the question. What did he expect uh, to unfold as a bureaucrat, as someone who has had so many years of administrative experience? I invited him to do a bit of crystal ball gazing. He was, as usual, both circumspect and careful, even as he looked at the larger question of uh, the need for a vent of a people who had been quite restricted and anxious for uh, a length of time. You see, fun and enjoyment in fact, we have a term for it, um, enjoyment at this part of a moment, hujuk. Hujuk means let's, 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 let's go, man. I mean, it, it, nobody asked where you're going, what are you going for? I mean, it's just there. Hujuk means uh, the, this part of the moment, sort of. There is a tradition of, uh, 
a fiesta accompanied uh, rigorously by siesta in a in a part of india where which is uh, which is outrageously fertile you must realize that uh, you don't have to break rocks here to get grains to yield so this part the alluvial part on which the bengali people uh, bengali speaking people have chosen to settle is as i said outrageously fertile so the extent of labor was always less and labor was not a very high priced commodity that is why those who are capable of labor now become migrant labor they are they are and besides the hard working uh, jobs like pulling rickshaws and others were outsourced to other states ki is too much too much hard labor you do it so accompanied by the spirit was a spirit of finding fun finding enjoyment on your own without institutional support when the babus the zamindars and others enjoyed their multi million uh, rupee pujas with uh, drums and shehnais and lights and what have you uh, in the semi darkness you could see the subalterns do their obscene dances they they were they were there they were lampooning they were doing sit stand up comedy sit down comedies i mean that was equally vocal equally vocal so one class was not left out in the dark pining and whining when will we get rich stuff like that uh, richness wasn't the qualifier for enjoyment this so defying defiance has been has been sanctified Uh, right from 1903 1903 even before the bengal partition and the warm up to defiance the warm up to taking up arms etc was there from 1880s when the mataram and all sorts of imageries that were built in so there is this thing because uh, at the same time the bengali realized that he, he needed a bit of aggression he was being taken as a too weak and too 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 unmartial and too unmanly so these parts of uh, let us say jingoism these parts gave him a confidence and spirit yeah. coming forth against all uh, sober yeah. advice ah, to restrain ah. and so on thank you so much i i think uh, we end on this note of positivity of the festive spirit after all uh, hopefully trying to to cheer up a people who've been depressed i suppose for a while mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. hoping to come out of it with all guns blazing thank you so mm-hmm. much for doing this uh, mr shorkar was circumspect and skeptical but he was open nonetheless to new possibilities and surprises now that is entirely in harmony with the spirit of the festival Traditionally autumn brings a lightness in the air and a sweetness in the mind of the Bengalis all over the world as i recalled in the last episode even the poorest and the most struggling among the community among the Bengalis choose to suspend their challenges their troubles for these few days and they feel good and happy as mr shorkar observed the people had been feeling anxious for a very long time this year particularly this year 
and they do need a vent. They need some relief. If that relief comes to them in the form of this and other festivals, it can only be good news. Yet, there is a need to be mindful about the larger requirements of society as a whole, of safety really, of the community too, and to the requirement of public health. Can we be responsible and have fun at the same time? This is the question I wish to live with this puja. It is for all of us to decide how to enjoy ourselves without falling sick or causing any inconvenience to our neighbors. This is your friend Onirban and here I come to an end of the special second part of History Chatter for Epilog Media. Now tell us what you think about this episode and other episodes. What is it that you like us to include? Till then, this is your friend Onirban signing off. Do subscribe to History Chatter in Epilogue Media website, GeoSavan, Ghana, Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Hubhopper. Thank you so much.